Part One of Parmenides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Parmenides by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. Persons of the Dialogue. Cephalus, Adamantos, Glaucon, Antiphon, Pythodorus, Socrates, Zeno, Parmenides, Aristoteles. Cephalus rehearses a dialogue which is supposed to have been narrated in his presence by Antiphon, the half-brother of Adamantos and Glaucon, to certain Clasimenians. We had come from our home at Clasomene to Athens, and met Adamantos and Glaucon in the Agora. Welcome, Cephalus, said Adamantos, taking me by the hand. Is there anything which we can do for you in Athens? Yes, that is why I am here. I wish to ask a favor of you. What may that be? he said. I want you to tell me the name of your half-brother, which I have forgotten. He was a mere child when I last came hither from Clazomene, but that was a long time ago. His father's name, if I remember rightly, was Pyrilampes. Yes, he said, and the name of our brother, Antiphon, but why do you ask? Let me introduce some countrymen of mine, I said. They are lovers of philosophy, and have heard that Antiphon was intimate with a certain Pythodorus, a friend of Zeno, and remembers a conversation which took place between Socrates, Zeno, and Parmenides many years ago, Pythodorus having often recited it to him. Quite true. And could we hear it, I asked? Nothing easier, he replied. When he was a youth he made a careful study of the piece. At present his thoughts run in another direction. Like his grandfather, Antiphon, he is devoted to horses but if that is what you want let us go and look for him he dwells at melita which is quite near and he has only just left us to go home accordingly we went to look for him he was at home and in the act of giving a bridle to a smith to be fitted when he had done with the smith his brothers told him the purpose of our visit and he saluted me as an acquaintance whom he remembered from my former visit and we asked him to repeat the dialogue at first he was not very willing and complained of the trouble but at length he consented he told us that pythodorus had described to him the appearance of parmenides and zeno they came to athens as he said at the great panathenea the former was at the time of his visit about sixty-five years old very white with age but well favoured zeno was nearly forty years of age tall and fair to look upon in the days of his youth he was reported to have been beloved by Parmenides. He said that they lodged with Pythodorus in the Keramikos, outside the wall, whither Socrates, then a very young man, came to see them, and many others with him. They wanted to hear the writings of Zeno, which had been brought to Athens for the first time on the occasion of their visit. These Zeno himself read to them in the absence of Parmenides, and had very nearly finished when Pythodorus entered, and with him Parmenides and Aristoteles, who was afterwards one of the thirty, and heard the little that remained of the dialogue. Pythodorus had heard Zeno repeat them before. 
when the recitation was completed socrates requested that the first thesis of the first argument might be read over again and this having been done he said what is your meaning zeno do you maintain that if being is many it must be both like and unlike and that this is impossible for neither can the like be unlike nor the unlike like is that your position just so said zeno and if the unlike cannot be like or the like unlike then according to you being could not be many for this would involve an impossibility in all that you say have you any other purpose except to disprove the being of the many and is not each division of your treatise intended to furnish a separate proof of this there being in all as many proofs of the not being of the many as you have composed arguments is that your meaning or have i misunderstood you no said zeno you have correctly understood my general purpose i see parmenides said socrates that zeno would like to be not only one with you in friendship but your second self in his writings too he puts what you say in another way and would fain make believe that he is telling us something which is new for you in your poems say the all is one and of this you adduce excellent proofs and he on the other hand says there is no many and on behalf of this he offers overwhelming evidence you affirm unity he denies plurality and so you deceive the world into believing that you are saying different things when really you are saying much the same this is a strain of art beyond the reach of most of us yes socrates said zeno but although you are as keen as a spartan hound in pursuing the track you do not fully apprehend the true motive of the composition which is not really such an artificial work as you imagine for what you speak of was an accident there was no pretense of a great purpose nor any serious intention of deceiving the world the truth is that these writings of mine were meant to protect the arguments of parmenides against those who make fun of him and seek to show the many ridiculous and contradictory results which they suppose to follow from the affirmation of the one my answer is addressed to the partisans of the many whose attack i return with interest by retorting upon them that their hypothesis of the being of many if carried out appears to be still more ridiculous than the hypothesis of the being of one zeal for my master led me to write the book in the days of my youth but someone stole the copy and therefore i had no choice whether it should be published or not the motive however of writing was not the ambition of an elder man but the pugnacity of a young one this you do not seem to see socrates though in other respects as i was saying your notion is a very just one i understand said socrates and quite accept your account but tell me zeno do you not further think that there is an idea of likeness in itself and another idea of unlikeness which is the opposite of likeness and that in these two you and i and all other things to which we apply the term many participate things which participate in likeness become in that degree and manner like and so far as they participate in unlikeness become in that degree unlike or both like and unlike in the degree in which they participate in both and may not all things partake of both opposites and be both like and unlike by reason of this participation 
where is the wonder now if a person could prove the absolute like to become unlike or the absolute unlike to become like that in my opinion would indeed be a wonder but there is nothing extraordinary zeno in showing that the things which only partake of likeness and unlikeness experience both nor again if a person were to show that all is one by partaking of one and at the same time many by partaking of many would that be very astonishing but if he were to show me that the absolute one was many or the absolute many one i should be truly amazed and so of all the rest i should be surprised to hear that the natures or ideas themselves had these opposite qualities but not if a person wanted to prove of me that i was many and also one when he wanted to show that i was many he would say that i have a right and a left side and a front and a back and an upper and a lower half for i cannot deny that i partake of multitude when on the other hand he wants to prove that i am one he will say that we who are here assembled are seven and that i am one and partake of the one in both instances he proves his case so again if a person shows that such things as wood stones and the like being many are also one we admit that he shows the coexistence of the one and many but he does not show that the many are one or the one many he is uttering not a paradox but a truism if however as i just now suggested some one were to abstract simple notions of like unlike one many rest motion and similar ideas and then to show that these admit of admixture and separation in themselves i should be very much astonished this part of the argument appears to be treated by you zeno in a very spirited manner but as i was saying i should be far more amazed if any one found in the ideas themselves which are apprehended by reason the same puzzle and entanglement which you have shown to exist in visible objects while socrates was speaking pythodorus thought that parmenides and zeno were not altogether pleased at the successive steps of the argument but still they gave the closest attention and often looked at one another and smiled as if in admiration of him when he had finished parmenides expressed their feelings in the following words socrates he said i admire the bent of your mind towards philosophy tell me now was this your own distinction between ideas in themselves and the things which partake of them and do you think that there is an idea of likeness apart from the likeness which we possess and of the one and many and of the other things which zeno mentioned i think that there are such ideas said socrates parmenides proceeded and would you also make absolute ideas of the just and the beautiful and the good and of all that class yes he said i should and would you make an idea of man apart from us and from all other human creatures or of fire and water i am often undecided parmenides as to whether i ought to include them or not and would you feel equally undecided socrates about things of which the mention may provoke a smile i mean such things as hair mud dirt or anything else which is vile and paltry would you suppose that each of these has an idea distinct from the actual objects with which we come into contact or not certainly not said socrates visible things like these are such as they appear to us 
and i am afraid that there would be an absurdity in assuming any idea of them although i sometimes get disturbed and begin to think that there is nothing without an idea but then again when i have taken up this position i run away because i am afraid that i may fall into a bottomless pit of nonsense and perish and so i return to the ideas of which i was just now speaking and occupy myself with them yes socrates said parmenides that is because you are still young the time will come if i am not mistaken when philosophy will have a firmer grasp of you and then you will not despise even the meanest things at your age you are too much disposed to regard the opinions of men but i should like to know whether you mean that there are certain ideas of which all other things partake and from which they derive their names that similars for example become similar because they partake of similarity and great things become great because they partake of greatness and that just and beautiful things become just and beautiful because they partake of justice and beauty yes certainly said socrates that is my meaning then each individual partakes either of the whole of the idea or else of a part of the idea can there be any other mode of participation there cannot be he said then do you think that the whole idea is one and yet being one is in each one of the many why not parmenides said socrates because one and the same thing will exist as a whole at the same time in many separate individuals and will therefore be in a state of separation from itself nay but the idea may be like the day which is one and the same in many places at once and yet continuous with itself in this way each idea may be one and the same in all at the same time i like your way socrates of making one in many places at once you mean to say that if i were to spread out a sail and cover a number of men there would be one whole including many is not that your meaning i think so and would you say that the whole sail includes each man or a part of it only and different parts different men the latter then socrates the ideas themselves will be divisible and things which participate in them will have a part of them only and not the whole idea existing in each of them that seems to follow then would you like to say socrates that the one idea is really divisible and yet remains one certainly not he said suppose that you divide absolute greatness and that of the many great things each one is great in virtue of a portion of greatness less than absolute greatness is that conceivable no or will each equal thing if possessing some small portion of equality less than absolute equality be equal to some other thing by virtue of that portion only impossible or suppose one of us to have a portion of smallness this is but a part of the small and therefore the absolutely small is greater if the absolutely small be greater that to which the part of the small is added will be smaller and not greater than before how absurd then in what way socrates will all things participate in the ideas if they are unable to participate in them either as parts or wholes indeed he said you have asked a question which is not easily answered well said parmenides and what do you say of another question 
what question i imagine that the way in which you are led to assume one idea of each kind is as follows you see a number of great objects and when you look at them there seems to you to be one and the same idea or nature in them all hence you conceive of greatness as one very true said socrates and if you go on and allow your mind in like manner to embrace in one view the idea of greatness and of great things which are not the idea and to compare them will not another greatness arise which will appear to be the source of all these it would seem so then another idea of greatness now comes into view over and above absolute greatness and the individuals which partake of it and then another over and above all these by virtue of which they will all be great and so each idea instead of being one will be infinitely multiplied but may not the ideas asked socrates be thoughts only and have no proper existence except in our minds parmenides for in that case each idea may still be one and not experience this infinite multiplication and can there be individual thoughts which are thoughts of nothing impossible he said the thoughts must be of something yes of something which is or which is not of something which is must it not be of a single something which the thought recognizes as attaching to all being a single form or nature yes and will not the something which is apprehended as one and the same in all be an idea from that again there is no escape then said parmenides if you say that everything else participates in the ideas must you not say either that everything is made up of thoughts and that all things think or that they are thoughts but have no thought the latter view parmenides is no more rational than the previous one in my opinion the ideas are as it were patterns fixed in nature and other things are like them and resemblances of them what is meant by the participation of other things in the ideas is really assimilation to them but if said he the individual is like the idea must not the idea also be like the individual in so far as the individual is a resemblance of the idea that which is like cannot be conceived of as other than the like of like impossible and when two things are alike must they not partake of the same idea they must and will not that of which the two partake and which makes them alike be the idea itself certainly then the idea cannot be like the individual or the individual like the idea for if they are alike some further idea of likeness will always be coming to light and if that be like anything else another and new ideas will be always arising if the idea resembles that which partakes of it quite true the theory then that other things participate in the ideas by resemblance has to be given up and some other mode of participation devised it would seem so do you see then socrates how great is the difficulty of affirming the ideas to be absolute yes indeed and further let me say that as yet you only understand a small part of the difficulty which is involved if you make of each thing a single idea parting it off from other things what difficulty he said there are many but the greatest of all is this if an opponent argues that these ideas 
being such as we say they ought to be must remain unknown no one can prove to him that he is wrong unless he who denies their existence be a man of great ability and knowledge and is willing to follow a long and laborious demonstration he will remain unconvinced and still insist that they cannot be known what do you mean parmenides said socrates in the first place i think socrates that you or any one who maintains the existence of absolute essences will admit that they cannot exist in us no said socrates for then they would be no longer absolute true he said and therefore when ideas are what they are in relation to one another their essence is determined by a relation among themselves and has nothing to do with the resemblances or whatever they are to be termed which are in our sphere and from which we receive this or that name when we partake of them and the things which are within our sphere and have the same names with them are likewise only relative to one another and not to the ideas which have the same names with them but belong to themselves and not to them what do you mean said socrates i may illustrate my meaning in this way said parmenides a master has a slave now there is nothing absolute in the relation between them which is simply a relation of one man to another but there is also an idea of mastership in the abstract which is relative to the idea of slavery in the abstract these natures have nothing to do with us nor we with them they are concerned with themselves only and we with ourselves do you see my meaning yes said socrates i quite see your meaning and will not knowledge i mean absolute knowledge answer to absolute truth certainly and each kind of absolute knowledge will answer to each kind of absolute being yes but the knowledge which we have will answer to the truth which we have and again each kind of knowledge which we have will be a knowledge of each kind of being which we have certainly but the ideas themselves as you admit we have not and cannot have no we cannot and the absolute natures or kinds are known severally by the absolute idea of knowledge yes and we have not got the idea of knowledge no then none of the ideas are known to us because we have no share in absolute knowledge i suppose not then the nature of the beautiful in itself and of the good in itself and all other ideas which we suppose to exist absolutely are unknown to us it would seem so i think that there is a stranger consequence still what is it would you or would you not say that absolute knowledge if there is such a thing must be a far more exact knowledge than our knowledge and the same of beauty and of the rest yes and if there be such a thing as participation in absolute knowledge no one is more likely than god to have this most exact knowledge certainly but then will god having absolute knowledge have a knowledge of human things why not because socrates said parmenides we have admitted that the ideas are not valid in relation to human things nor human things in relation to them the relations of either are limited to their respective spheres yes that has been admitted and if god has this perfect authority and perfect knowledge his authority cannot rule us 
nor his knowledge know us or any human thing just as our authority does not extend to the gods nor our knowledge know anything which is divine so by parity of reason they being gods are not our masters neither do they know the things of men yet surely said socrates to deprive god of knowledge is monstrous these socrates said parmenides are a few and only a few of the difficulties in which we are involved if ideas really are and we determine each of them to be an absolute unity he who hears what may be said against them will deny the very existence of them and even if they do exist he will say that they must of necessity be unknown to man and he will seem to have reason on his side and as we were remarking just now will be very difficult to convince a man must be gifted with very considerable ability before he can learn that everything has a class and an absolute essence and still more remarkable will he be who discovers all these things for himself and having thoroughly investigated them is able to teach them to others i agree with you parmenides said socrates and what you say is very much to my mind and yet socrates said parmenides if a man fixing his attention on these and the like difficulties does away with ideas of things and will not admit that every individual thing has its own determinate idea which is always one and the same he will have nothing on which his mind can rest and so he will utterly destroy the power of reasoning as you seem to me to have particularly noted very true he said but then what is to become of philosophy whither shall we turn if the ideas are unknown i certainly do not see my way at present yes said parmenides and i think that this arises socrates out of your attempting to define the beautiful the just the good and the ideas generally without sufficient previous training i noticed your deficiency when i heard you talking here with your friend aristoteles the day before yesterday the impulse that carries you towards philosophy is assuredly noble and divine but there is an art which is called by the vulgar idle talking and which is often imagined to be useless in that you must train and exercise yourself now that you are young or truth will elude your grasp and what is the nature of this exercise parmenides which you would recommend that which you heard zeno practising at the same time i give you credit for saying to him that he did not care to examine the perplexity in reference to visible things or to consider the question in that way but only in reference to objects of thought and to what may be called ideas why yes he said there appears to me to be no difficulty in showing by this method that visible things are like and unlike and may experience anything quite true said parmenides but i think that you should go a step further and consider not only the consequences which flow from a given hypothesis but also the consequences which flow from denying the hypothesis and that will be still better training for you what do you mean he said i mean for example that in the case of this very hypothesis of zeno's about the many you should inquire not only what will be the consequences to the many in relation to themselves and to the one and to the one in relation to itself and the many on the hypothesis of the being of the many but also what will be the consequences to the one and the many in their relation to themselves and to each other on the opposite hypothesis 
or again if likeness is or is not what will be the consequences in either of these cases to the subjects of the hypothesis and to other things in relation both to themselves and to one another and so of unlikeness and the same holds good of motion and rest of generation and destruction and even of being and not being in a word when you suppose anything to be or not to be or to be in any way affected you must look at the consequences in relation to the thing itself and to any other things which you choose to each of them singly to more than one and to all and so of other things you must look at them in relation to themselves and to anything else which you suppose either to be or not to be if you would train yourself perfectly and see the real truth that parmenides is a tremendous business of which you speak and i do not quite understand you will you take some hypothesis and go through the steps then i shall apprehend you better that socrates is a serious task to impose on a man of my years then will you zeno said socrates zeno answered with a smile let us make our petition to parmenides himself who is quite right in saying that you are hardly aware of the extent of the task which you are imposing on him and if there were more of us i should not ask him for these are not subjects which any one especially at his age can well speak of before a large audience most people are not aware that this roundabout progress through all things is the only way in which the mind can attain truth and wisdom and therefore parmenides i join in the request of socrates that i may hear the process again which i have not heard for a long time when zeno had thus spoken pythodorus according to antiphon's report of him said that he himself and aristoteles and the whole company entreated parmenides to give an example of the process i cannot refuse said parmenides and yet i feel rather like ibycus who when in his old age against his will he fell in love compared himself to an old racehorse who was about to run in a chariot race shaking with fear at the course he knew so well this was his simile of himself and i also experience a trembling when i remember through what an ocean of words i have to wade at my time of life but i must indulge you as zeno says that i ought and we are alone where shall i begin and what shall be our first hypothesis if i am to attempt this laborious pastime shall i begin with myself and take my own hypothesis of the one and consider the consequences which follow on the supposition either of the being or of the not being of one by all means said zeno and who will answer me he said shall i propose the youngest he will not make difficulties and will be the most likely to say what he thinks and his answers will give me time to breathe i am the one whom you mean parmenides said aristoteles for i am the youngest and at your service ask and i will answer and of part one of parmenides recording in memory of mitchell edwards